Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth. I'm uh, joined in the pod this week by... Jude Rogers. Jude Rogers. Haven't been here for a while, Jude, have you? Yeah. And, uh, and freshly tanned... Freshly tanned... <laughs> you never noticed. <laughs> Go on. Who Mark Ellen. <laughs> Who am I? The tanned Mark Ellen. People might not know I sound you. just the same tanned or untanned. Just yeah. a minor <laughs> <Yeah>. contributor. <laughs> The reason Mark's tanned is you've, you've been diving, haven't you, Mark? Did you put that, you put that picture on the side, right? If anybody yeah. wants evidence okay. of Mark Ellen's underwater activities, you can go on the website, wordmagazine.co.uk, where there's actually a picture of Mark Ellen, I can't put it any other way, swimming with sharks. Swimming with sharks. No, I was. I was. I, I went out to, uh, yeah, the Bahamas, in, in, uh, uh, the listeners, um, in, in my capacity as, a, as the correspondent for Diver magazine. Yes, yeah, so he didn't but do this. My, right, he... I, I'm a cycling correspondent for the Sunday Telegraph, and I'm a diving <laughs> correspondent for Diver magazine, which is fantastic fun. And this picture is a comedy picture. Do go and have a look, actually. It's a comedy picture, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the end of this dive in the Bahamas, just off Compass Point, interestingly enough, in Nassau. Which I'm sure will mean something to a lot of people. Yeah, Duran Duran fans. Duran Duran fans, probably, yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's a little dive, and they have what they call a shark feed. And up till then, right, you've been diving in this place, and these are, these are wild animals. You occasionally see sharks going by about, you know, 20 feet away, which is a pretty disconcerting sight, I have to tell you. These are flesh-eating uh, creatures. Um, but at the end, they have a thing called the shark feed, where they get out a load of fish heads and put them in a cage, right? And you get down to the bottom, very heavily weighted, so you can just sit on the bottom, you're not going to float off, right? And two guys, and this is disconcerting, put on chain mail, a form of armour, over their wetsuits, right, in order to spear these fish heads out of the cage and give them to these sharks. These sharks are quite big, they're nine-foot sharks, right? And they tell you in a very serious lecture before you go down, whatever you do, do not wave your hands about. Put your, both your hands under your armpits and squeeze them tight. And guess what, you yeah. can, can I just, can I just, <laughs> can I just interrupt? 
I don't, my so children are watching this. Somebody told Mark Allen not to wave not his arm. Not to wave his arm. Like they were saying to Jeremy Paxman or something. Not Jeremy Paxman. No. The other Jeremy. Jeremy Clarkson. Clarkson. Exactly. Like, like telling Marcel Marceau not to wave his arms around. Yeah, that's how you yeah, talk with your arms. You talk with your arms and your legs. I know, but they had this photographer. They said, well, I've got a pop round to take my picture of all of you. It's amazing sight. 43 sharks turned up in this feeding frenzy, right? And when the camera came by... Are they all forming an orderly queue outside, like kind of derelict yeah, waiting each the other on the fins saying, yeah, fish heads are ready, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, over to Nassau. <laughs> They're hairy across the sea. And, uh, yeah, anyway, so, so the camera comes by to me, and I just thought, I just couldn't resist it, really. I did something which you're not, again, not meant to do at 20 metres down. I took the regulator out of my mouth. That's a non-diver day, I should explain oh. to me. You have to breathe through a regulator. If you don't have a regulator, you're not there for very long. Well, at least the, the sharks have carted you off, probably. So I take the regulator out of my mouth, and then make a kind of comedy, I'm really scared face. <laughs> With very wide eyes. And of course, the picture is actually quite funny because lo- I didn't realise this, but looming into shots that I'm doing this course is a nine foot grey reef shark on its way to attack a fish head, right? You know, and I'm just standing there waiting. We it's all thought it's, it's, it's a photo shark. Yeah, it's photo shark. It's absolutely real. It's not absolutely a shark real. about to come up and say, Did you used to be on the old grey whistle? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you David Hepp? That's right, you, you David Kershaw. Yeah, that's great. I really enjoyed that Robert Palmer thing, yeah? Can they really show that? Oh, you Bob, Bob yeah. Nightingale. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You were going to show fish heads by Barnes and Barnes, that's which right. we used to have on. Could you do the Star Kicker dance for me? Oh, do, 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 so do, you do, were do, kind of breaking all the safety regs, were you? By, by Pretty much everyone. I hope my children are listening to this. Your children are bound to see it. For both, both of my children are one of, in one of my scuba diving gangs. And I was very, before the game, I'd like, don't forget, don't do anything stupid. You don't wave your hands about, keep your reg in, no singing underwater. Don't, don't show off around shows. <laughs> the only family, the only family do sing underwater, you sing, which is pretty bad, really. What do they say? Well, we occasionally be bored on uh, coming back from a dive. You just take your regulator out and just sing a song, and then the other person has to guess what it is. Which <laughs> 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 still, and it can, I'm quite good at it actually, because I've got a very loud voice, you know. You sing underwater. Sing underwater. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it can't be worse. done. You can if you put your hand under. If you fill a bath and tube, put your hand underwater. You can see. You can, you can make noises. So anyway, listeners, uh, if you're short of something to do this evening. <laughs> Uh, run, run a deep bath, climb in, and uh, sing Bohemian Rhapsody. And, uh, you know. Can I say that the hotel I was staying in, right, had an underwater audio. Have you ever heard of this? No. I couldn't believe it. The, the, the woman at the reception desk said, we, our, our latest facility is an underwater. I said, I could not really do this. I'll try this. I jump in the swimming pool. Sure enough, Lenny Kravitz is playing some <laughs> giant speakers. Underwater. You can only hear him underwater. Lenny Kravitz. Oh, Lenny Kravitz. Oh yeah, partly because Lenny Kravitz had stayed in the hotel recently. He probably, he probably got a, a discount because he's sitting there <laughs> if they could play his music underwater. Yeah, underwater music in American swimming pools. Oh, yes. There's got to be a really cruel joke there about Lenny Kravitz, and I'm just, I can't it quite bring it. It's, it's over. It's sort of where he deserves to be, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Just underwater. Keep him underwater. Underground. <laughs> you know. oh, other places Thank you might you like yes. to listen to Lenny I Kravitz. I didn't spend long in the pool, believe me. So anyway, that's on the website, wordmagazine.co.uk. <laughs> yeah. And other people's holiday pictures will, <laughs> will follow in due course. If you've got a more uh, stupid and, and less responsible picture, do so. Possibly not as, uh, not as picturesque. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast... A way of life. News just in, Jude. I don't know if you've, uh, I don't know if you've been following the uh, the heartbreaking story of the reunion of the group they called Five. Um, I haven't, um, unfortunately. Wait, you're never a fan, <laughs> were you, Jude? I was a little too old for that. Uh, right, okay. I was a uh, new kids on the block era. So yeah, I can't say I'm too familiar with the 
<laughs> Should we all we all say that word? That we're all going to say that word together. That we hate it when freelancers put it in their copy. Okay, in their copy, we hate it when they say. <laughs> it's just a. Yeah, you see, so he's done it two <laughs> two <laughs> syllables. We're going to do it again. Americans of course say they're clocking someone's oeuvre. I don't know. I haven't clocked his oeuvre. Why are you talking? It's like Kenneth Williams. Yeah, that's different. He hasn't made clocking your oeuvre. It's like one of the Polaring, isn't it? Anyway, five. I'm not too familiar with them myself, but I've worked out that their one identifying characteristic is that there are. Five of them. Okay. Yeah. Five of them. Okay. What was the problem with their reunion? <laughs> oh, there are only three turned up. Well, there are only three now. There are only four turned only four. up. Oh, okay. okay. Five star. So, so they were, no, they were going to re... Oh, I'm not five star. Five star came back as three star. Oh. They? Yeah. They were going to reform five with <laughs> four of them. Okay. And they made the usual kind of hullabaloo and, you know, photo calls and stuff in the tabloids and all this stuff. And and then now, six months later, it's with deep regret, I'm reading from the press release yeah. here, that Five Today announce, and I've, 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 re- I've, been reading, I've been reading press releases since before Jude was born, okay? And this is, this is an expression I have never read before. It goes, cool. it is with deep regret that Five Today announced that their comeback is no more. <laughs> They've stopped. They're come back. They've stopped coming back. They've stopped coming back. They came halfway back, put a toe in the water, looked around thought, fuck this. (laughs) (laughs) Because what they were trying to do, what they were trying to do was to, this is so indicative of the kind of cheap chiselling nature of, of of a certain section of contemporary pop music. They looked around at Take That's enormously successful reunion with only four of them. I thought, we'll have a bit of that. (laughs) And we'll go one better, because we'll go to ITV or whoever and get them to make a series about, you know, a reality series. About the group coming back. About us coming back together. They went into the meetings at ITV or whatever, and they got got a fairly dusty response, really. (laughs) They said, and you are who? They said, we're five. And they said, well, hang on, there's only four of you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and then they couldn't get a record company interested. So it's, it's the most tawdry thing I've ever heard of in many, many years of observing pop music. They've stopped the comeback album halfway through. You know, just given up on the whole thing. You know, where's the where's the spirit that made Britain great in that? I don't think Britain would be made great by five finishing their comeback. Well, anyway. So, I've got Jude. You and I have got one thing to talk about that I know has been very close to your heart of late, as it's been close to mine. You probably you for longer than me, which is um, vinyl. I know, you've got a bit um, excited about vinyl the last couple of weeks. I have to say, the last few weeks I shifted the pile of CDs off the top of the old old deck, the old dual deck. Not that old, actually, but a nice one. And thought, time to start playing the odd record. And got the odd one out. And since then I've barely played anything else. I've, I've barely gone to the CDs at all. I've been playing the old, you know, the Jesse Winchester record, the old Van Morrison record, the Joni Mitchell records or whatever. And I have to say that I am now utterly convinced by the argument that Neil Young advanced all those years ago that it sounds better. No, I agree with you completely. So um, why, do? Why does it sound better? Well, there's some boring scientific reason about how, on a CD, the top and the bottom levels are taken off or something. But... Um, there's something about putting on an old record as well. You know, even a record that's got a bit of crackle and a bit of hiss on it. Mm, it's you just put it on. It's not it's, just that. It's and, it, and 
there's that kind of warmth that comes with that. But um, those are I love know. marks, aren't they? That's yes. what they call them in advertising. Yes. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. seriously, what? a product that you have a relationship with. If it has the signs of ownership or the signs of experience, oh, those right. are love marks. So, yeah. scarred so, and so stained. A, and C- a CD, one of its great weaknesses is your CD sounds just the same as the guy next door's CD, yeah. whereas your record doesn't. Yeah, your record jumps at exactly the oh, same yeah. You know, but you forgive that, you know, because that's a love mark anyway. But the the um, the thing that I, that's come clear to me recently through playing these records um, is that. CDs have two. The, the peaks are too high and the and the, the and the lows are too low. The silence is too great. The noise is too great. Whereas, and so you can draw it like a kind of you know a temperature chart at the end of your bed in the hospital. Whereas a, a record, analog, it's like a wave. It, it goes like yeah. that up and down gently. It's like looking at you know low lying hills, as opposed to looking at the Alps, yeah. which is which is what's happening I with the CD. Lots, there's a lot to be said for your mood when you listen to a record too, because. Um, well, I got my um, turn, turntable fixed about three months ago, having been a person who just bought vinyl obsessively in a kind of indie fan way, you know, going to record fairs and uh, trying to nudge past um, sweaty men and uh, skinny indie boys, which is obviously a great chore. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed that. But, um, yeah, so cool. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just, I, I got it fixed, and um, it, I think especially when we... You know, listen to music on MP3 players so much, and it's there all the time, like wallpaper in the background. When you go home at the end of a busy day, you sit down, you think, What shall I do? I'll make a cup of tea, I'll put a record on. And you've got to go to yeah. your party, yes, get a record out, I agree put it on, put the stylus on. And just, you've got to, you, once you put it on, you almost want to sit down and pay it a little bit of, you know, reverence. Yep. It's the return, this is interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, I reviewed the Rufus Wainwright album, what's it called, Release the Stars. Um, That's right. Yes. In word, and and I think they missed a trick by not putting that out on vinyl because that is um, whether you like him or not, it's it's an old fashioned album. Yeah. You know? yeah absolutely. It's, it's a song sequence that yeah. uh, works in a certain way. It has a it has an arc to it. It has a drama to it. And you, de- I felt listening to it on CD, I had the remote control. I kept having to put it down. You know, no, you shouldn't be mm. flicking around yeah. this oh, thing. Yeah. You should be doing it in this uh, in this order, and you should be stopping halfway. Turning it over. I couldn't agree more. I think it, I feel when I played vibes, I got the same thing. I bought a, an old tube amp, as I think Americans oh, call them. Really? About, uh, yeah, about uh, three years ago. So by the crackling log fire in my front room, I have an old record player, and, and uh, I have certain records that I play all the time. Go on, what are they? Oh God, well, there's uh, several of the Steve Miller bands. There's first pull up, <laughs> the then pull down by Hot Tuna. I don't know why, it just sounds really good on vinyl, I'm sorry. It but does. Uh, it just sounds absolutely great. I've got an old Pentangle record, Basket of Light. It just sounds beautiful on It's vinyl. the warmth. Now, I'm going yes. to tell you one other theory that I've developed over the last couple of weeks while going through this, this stage, which could go on for a long time, is that you can, I think with vinyl, you can stand an awful lot more volume... The noise when you turn it up is not. It doesn't hurt. No, it doesn't. It's not sharp. It's not sharp. Um, because I have to say that the other thing that triggered me into this was interviewing Nick Loaf, which is you know in the in the next issue of Word. Nick Lowe's got a got a new record out called uh, At My Age, and because Nick Lowe has you know been through it in, at every stage as a performer and as a producer, particularly back in the late seventies and early eighties or whatever, and he was telling me telling me a very interesting story about. Um, about going in to get a record mastered in the early 80s. And he said, all you used to want when you go in to get it mastered was for your record to be louder than everybody else's. Yeah. 
so that it punched through on the radio. It leapt out the speaker. Mm. You know, Girls Talk by Dave Evans or Watching the Detectives yeah. by Elvis Costello, whatever. It had to just punch out. And then this, he said for years they'd been going along with him and then he met this mastering engineer who said, you can't do it. He says, because the things that make records really punch out are actually in the performance. They're not in the engineering at all. And he played him, I think I'm right in saying, Oh, What a Night by the Four Seasons. Yeah. And said, this record leaps out of every radio, not because it's been mastered at a very high level, it's, it's just it's played, perfectly yeah. constructed. Yeah. You know, no, it's thing- only got a small number of instruments, its dynamics are absolutely brilliantly calculated. The other thing that, uh, if this isn't too technical, the producers will tell you that the guy who produced that Nick Lowe record is a great friend of mine. And he explained it to me. If you go to a studio, of course, you now have the digital image up in front of you. And if you can Is this a Gold see, Top Studio? Gold Top Studio. This, you've got to tell people about Gold Top Studios. Because this is a place in, in Camden Town. In Camden it? Town, it is, yeah. It's just go on. Well, go, oh, it's just the most gorgeous place. Because you know why it's called Gold Top? Gold Dairy. No, it's, well, it's called Gold Top because it's, it's in an old dairy and Phil Spector's studio used to be called Gold Star. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so that's the little bit of a gag. A little bit of a gag. It's anyway, the most gorgeous place and it's all analogue equipment. Again, the listeners, the sound of young Islington there. Just we are being silence for the sound oh, of... Oh, it stopped. It stopped. stopped. They caught him. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty more out there. Keep looking. He was, anyway. in, he was in a wheelchair. <laughs> Go on. I'll never sell ice creams to travel last week. No, but yeah. <laughs> Was it Eric Morgan? No, the gold stuff is full of old analogue equipment. They've got, they've actually generally got a set of uh, Ringo Starr's old drums. I mean, just really, they've got a, a Wurlitzer piano. They've got a Hammond organ with Leslie speakers, which is all of which you can hear actually on this incredible record by uh, by Nick. And it's really all recorded beautifully. It's that acoustic thing where people just gathered around a microphone, all singing. All the horn sections are all playing in, in real time, and you can hear the physical three-dimensional mm. space. But the point that Neil made, which I think is absolutely true, so I hope this isn't too technical. It's, no, really this is really interesting. Is that if you go to a recording studio now, they put the track up, as they say. You can physically see the track in the same way as you can see Garage Band on your computer. You see all the tracks, and you can physically see what they're doing. And so if you're coming up for a chorus, you can see a certain amount of space, and then suddenly, bang, all the levels go up, all the graphic equalisers, and there is the chorus with every single track full of some oh. instrument doing something, a backing vocal, a percussion. Of course, the tendency is, when you can physically see a track, to fill yes. the empty spaces with yeah. sound. Right, yeah. And, and of course, if you couldn't see it, the days of vinyl, you couldn't see it, it's just a quarter-inch tape spinning by from a reel to reel. You can't physically see the holes in the track, so you don't feel any compulsion. Just go, oh, we need something there. What you actually get is terrific highs and lows and vacillations of mood and character and drama, mm. which is what makes records so good, just like the record you're talking about. It's so what's, good because it's so beautifully built. What's really interesting about analogue these days, there's a studio near where I live, which is the Tolerag Studio, mm. which we all know, because um, White, White Stripes Spain did a record, record yeah, there. Yeah. There's a few bands this year have done, there's a band called The Bishops, who are kind of, um, have this very Hamburg Beatles sound about them, and they recorded it there too. And... Um, I think it's with um, vinyl in general, this resurgence of the in- interest in vinyl in younger people. There's, I know that um, seven inches have, um, are really starting to come back in retail. Um, HMV, um, who aren't selling as many singles as they used to, are selling a lot of uh, seven inch singles now because a lot of the young bands like The View and the Arctic Monkeys have stuff up in seven inch. Yeah. And like this. So you, you know, do wonder do could it ever come back? Well, Is it's never it gone possible? away in dance music, is it? It's never gone away in dance, but most people... You see, I think loads of people listening to this this podcast, wordmagazine.co.uk, will be people, because I've had correspondence from them, who've thrown away their old decks. Mm. I think a lot of people did it. I'm going to regret that. And my advice to you is this. 
if you still got some records, go and buy one. Yeah. The other go and buy a deck because you you can you'd be amazed how much you'll love it. There's another amazing aspect of vinyl, I think, which is that there is a, a time limit to how long you can play vinyl. I remember you interviewed Elvis Costello for Word uh, about our second issue, and he was talking about a copy of almost uh, of Blue, in fact, by by Joni Mitchell. He said, "I physically wore it out." Do you remember? I yeah. Wore the groove out. Yeah. Off. And in acetate, in dance music, where you get a press of acetate of a, of a particular mix, yeah. right? I think I'm right in saying that you can only play an acetate physically seven or eight times. That is all it will take. Oh, really? And it'll be gone. And so, and I think this is brilliant because I never had this experience as a kid. I never had the experience that I was listening to a record that I could only physically actually hear eight, there could only be eight performances of it ever in the world and it'd be gone. Because it's one mix cut into an acetate and gone. And I think that's really So you're really concentrating. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating because it makes it an event. You can actually say, I was present when that particular mix was played. Yeah. Hard for that anecdote to work, I can imagine. <laughs> but I can, see the, I can see the attraction. So, no, I mean, it's only about a year ago. I remember Andrew Collins, who, who writes for Word, he, he, he got rid of a load of his old CDs and, uh, and records, apart from things he particularly treasured. Because he just decided, I think they were moving back into town and he needed more space and just thought, this is stupid, I can have all this as a bunch of noughts and ones, you know. And, of course, I've got thousands of 12-inch black vinyl LPs. And I thought to myself, I should probably do something similar. But, you know, yeah. they're occupying huge space, you know. I had to get an RSJ put in the loft to sustain them. But I didn't, and you know, the last few weeks I've been so pleased that I haven't, and I've just been going down them and thinking, "Oh God, pull that out and play it." And it's and they're very often records that I never bothered to replace on on uh, and get a CD copy of or anything, you know. So I haven't listened to them for years. And don't you feel disrespectful to the record when you when you've you, you've taken missed the track out? You know, you've actually got oh, yeah. it deliberately. <laughs> done. It's not as easy just punching through something which you do yeah. randomly and uh, wantonly. And you really feel this is a, this is an event. You do wonder. You do wonder whether it'll come back because I interviewed Jack Holtzman, who was the man who started Electra Records. You know, he's now in his seventies, if not his eighties. Uh, and uh, not long ago, when they had the fiftieth anniversary of Electra, wasn't it? And he said that he couldn't believe that the record industry threw away its fundamental marketing tool, which was the cover of the twelve-inch album. Yeah, and. And at the time, you thought, oh, that's just a bit of silly nostalgia from an old man who's been left behind. And then you think, no, that might be true, actually. You know, that people don't... I don't care how, how, I don't care how much you like the Arctic Monkeys. You do not feel the attachment to that CD that you have bought that somebody would have felt to a 12-inch record of no, The Clash no. that they bought but in 1977. Like, but has you said to you in the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, that's a brilliant CD cover? Because no. I can't remember anyone ever saying that. Because if it was a brilliant CD cover, you wouldn't notice it because it's only it's six inches wide. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. could be, I mean, you know, Oasis spent a fortune taking a picture of a Rolls-Royce in a swimming pool with a clock and all sorts of terribly yeah. complicated. Do you remember that? Yeah. Can't remember what the album was now. I mean, that was... The oh, there you go. There I can't remember that. That. <laughs> Ain't that the, the truth? <laughs> but, yeah, that's the kind of construction that people were doing in the 70s when it really mattered because you could see it on board. So, um, the album sleeves up in a room as decoration. I do. I've you got some on the wall. I've got giant steps for John Coltrane. Oh, really? On the wall, Dude, that's so cool. No, it's very cool. <laughs> have you got, have you got one, of those, uh, one of those frames that we uh, they sometimes advertise in Word? What, what do we call them? No, Art, I haven't. Art vinyl. Art vinyl. Art vinyl. You can yeah. get those and you can, you can put your, uh, your favourite album covers on your wall if you say so disposed. So anyway, I mean, I don't know if you feel the same about uh, about old vinyl as we are currently feeling. 
uh, let us know about it on the uh, on the website wordmagazine.co.uk the word a magazine a website a podcast a way of life jude it sounds as if we've got you in here to talk entirely about matters that uh, relate to the late 60s and early 70s but uh, which i remember because uh, well. <laughs> jude Jude was only born Jude in, Rogers, her, in her 20s, listeners. Yes. In uh, yeah. her early 20s at that. Very sweet of her to humour a couple of silver <laughs> ones like us. Yeah. But, but one of the things that, uh, that that we do like to talk about in the office occasionally, and this, this has blossomed into a little thread on the on the website, is what we call what we call Jude's hunky hippies. <laughs> uh, and and this I tell you, I have to set this up. I went to I went to see James Taylor do a concert. Uh, not that long ago in London, very very good concert where he, uh, which he, you know, illustrated with a slideshow of wonderful old pictures. Mark Allen's creeping back to his, <laughs> creeping back to his seat with, with a beer. I'm actually opening a, a bottle with, of Tubal with a beer. <laughs> yes. I'm saying Tubal gladly, and I hope Anyway. I went to see James Taylor, and he showed a bunch of old pictures to him as a child, his parents, all this kind of stuff. And he, he put up this old picture of him from about 1970 or something like that, with Carol King and uh, the band Charlie Larkey and all these people. And his whole line was, this is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, if you live in a world where you don't look in the mirror. You know, <laughs> and The joke was, we look like unmade beds, we look terrible. Because what everybody in the audience is actually thinking and looking at the picture is... He looks fabulous. You look fantastic. <laughs> now, how is it... And here's the big question. How is it that in the... And I think it's particularly the late 60s, early 70s. And if you think about album covers like... You think about Sweet Baby James. You think about Paul McCartney's first solo album. You think of Dennis Wilson's Pacific Ocean Blue. You think of Terry Reed's records or whatever. Oh, <laughs> these are Jude's getting a bit hot and steamy. Yes, Terry Reed. these are all people old enough to be Jude's grandfather, <laughs> but she has to stand on a square of cold lino to look at. To Paul look Rogers at, is her grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> to look at these pictures because these are some of the most glamorous images of handsome men that you will ever find in rock and roll, aren't they, Jude? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I've got all, all funny. Now, go on, tell us about some of your favourites. Well, my tastes aren't the most conventional ever, I must admit, but um, when you asked me you know, who they were, I just couldn't stop, stop talking, could I? <laughs> I, I usually you know, have no images. problem with that. No. Yeah. But um, Gene Clark is one of my favourites. Gene oh Clark out God. of the birds. Good call. Oh, God. There's a picture of him I found off uh, my favourite picture agency for Google. And um, uh, he looks like um, Evan Dando. But much better looking. And I was completely besotted by Evan Dando when I was 15. I got put into detention because I was looking at pictures of Evan Dando in a computer studies GCC class. Really? I was. Detention? Yes, I was, yes. For Did you have to write down a hundred times? I must not put perv. I must not perv. I do not fancy Evan Dando. I do not fancy I like his music. Yes. It's a big chord change. Chord change. No, Gene Clark is just lovely. Can I just interrupt for a second? Now, Mark and I are old enough to remember the first coming of Gene Clark. Did anybody in the 1960s or the 70s ever mention once that Gene <laughs> Clark was good-looking? No, I think that's quite a, a, a brave and courageous and original choice, but he was good-looking, actually. <laughs> yeah, but he nobody was, ever talked about it. No, they probably didn't. But, I, I mean, my, my problem is that I, I think uh, the, the, the men I thought that were good-looking, the, the hippies, were probably the ones who looked a bit effeminate. 
actually. Go on. I, I know the answer. If you're going to ask me who was the best looking hippie ever. Okay, I who was the, who, the okay, Mark. who was the best looking hippie ever? Right, you, you obviously look no, stupid, David, if you I'm think not. I'm going to get the wrong answer. They were the right answer is. Oh, is he so defensive? <laughs> I was not going to stitch you up at all. The current issue of Rolling Stone, they've got their 40th uh, edition out at the moment, is a picture of Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead. Oh, which I he, showed yes, you did. To and he went on my list. Yes. Bob Weir is sitting cross-legged on a stage, about to tune a guitar with uh, just a pair of loons on, and no <laughs> shirts, and he just looks absolutely fan bloody tastic, doesn't he? Yes, he did. He, he really did. was amazing. He, he kind of he, he sort of an old, an old West look about him, mm. didn't he? Mm. Uh, that you know you wouldn't have been surprised to see that he rode with Butch Cassidy and the Standard Skid. Yeah, so it was that, that there was exactly. a kind of classic, you know, sort of Victorian. Yeah, 19th century kind of look dusty about it. Confederate look. Yeah. Know? So, yeah. Jude, who else have you got? We- well, there's Neil Young, who I, I know is a bit unconventional as well, but um, it's partly to do with his voice, which I love. But um, the way his hair falls across his face is quite nice. Um, <laughs> Nick Drake. Nick Drake. Nick Drake. Oh, yeah. Just gorgeous. You know, um, yeah. probably wouldn't be much fun, let's be honest. Can but, I, you know. Can I offer a theory on Nick Drake? Go on. How many pictures are there of Nick Drake? Not very many. Very, very few. Yes, let's say there are a dozen. Only marginally more than I've Let's Robert say Johnson. there's a dozen, right? Most of them taken by Keith Morris, yeah, who's no longer with us, sadly, who took the great pictures, you know, the, where the hurrying man's running yeah, past yeah, on yeah. the back of Five Leaves Left or whatever it is. The ones taken by Keith Morris are fantastic. He looks sensational. The ones taken by other people, I think he looks a bit odd. Yeah. It, Keith Morris made him fantastically handsome. He knew how to take his picture. And, of course, we haven't seen any pictures where he looks really crap. Yeah. Whereas most people, you've seen millions of pictures of them. That is true. Do you I know think, what I mean? I think a lot of the boys on my uh, Hunky Hippies list, which is on the website... Um, Wordmagazine.co.uk. Um, they're all very... They've got amazing cheekbones. And I think kind of the way that they were photographed kind of plays upon that. Yeah, yeah. Who else Two have you got? David Gilmore. David Gilmore. Well, this is what started the whole thing off. It was. Dave put a picture, yeah. a video. Yeah. Well, isn't it's a GIF, isn't it? Kind of animated oh my GIF. Goodness, not, not. And David Gilmore, again, probably, no offence, David, if you're listening, but um, probably wouldn't get on that well. But um, his eyelashes are just incredible. They're just amazing. <laughs> they are. You could dance on them. I think that's what they said. You, you could. They're just, they're like, like cow's eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, yeah, I'm learning something about women. Yes, women yes, sit there in audiences nudging each other. <laughs> Look at those oh, eyes. Oh, girls like eyelashes. Yeah, yeah. Terry Reid you had I Terry Reid Terry Reid the man, the man who turned down the opportunity to be Robert Plant in Led Zeppelin yeah, well, Robert Plant was on my initial list but he had to be edited, in, edited the list had to be edited a little bit because I'd just gone on for ages you know kind of you know getting a bit uh, sweaty getting excited about all these men um, and and somebody said why isn't Robert Plant on this list and I must admit I, I used to really detest Led Zeppelin and all they stood for when I was a you know kind of hairslide wearing indie teenager but then Time came in my early 20s when I saw a video that an ex-boyfriend was playing of Led Zeppelin and suddenly um, I was converted because there was this man with his, you know, chest out and all this... They, used, they, they were all brilliant. Yeah, but oh that's an interesting God. thing John about... John Paul Jones is the best looking of the lot. I'm They're gonna, all amazing. I'm going to take... Two, in, two points interest me here. Is, the, is one of the reasons that they're so attractive <laughs> the fact that they didn't look as if they put a lot of effort into it? They didn't look styled... And by contemporary standards, they would not be styled at all. Oh, they just turned up for the photo yeah. session, stood there. Yeah. If they were lucky, it was a good photographer. Uh, the other thing that interested me 
about page and plant is that they used to do a lot of that shirts off action. Yeah. But by contemporary standards, they're not what you consider buff. Are they? Oh no, not they're not. They're not like David Beckham or Robbie Williams oh, no, or whatever. No, well, they look as if they've worked yeah, out, Brad Pitt yeah, worked out and covered in tattoos. Baby oil. Oh, well, I never <laughs> like that anyway. No, it's not my. They're of they're a kind of they were sort of spare, weren't they? It's almost if like not spindly. You know, they just had a beer and they just rolled out to bed, which um, probably for my sins is something I quite like. In a beer. Yeah. Apologies to my uh, my So we th- we think <laughs> it's I got one other thing. Go on, beers. Oh, oh you, the Jesus if, look. If you if you grow a very long beard and grow a very long centre-parted hair, then even if you're not uh, any great oil painting, you still look a bit fabulous. I mean, you know, most groups like the, I, the Allman Brothers, the Spooky Tooth. Can I just... They, they all thought they look great. If, you, if they'd had a shave, sorry, go on. Yeah. I'm just going to put in one exception that proves the rule. Okay. You used to look terrible with long hair. Oh, I did <laughs> You really did. I did have the it worst didn't like suit you. Whereas no. me and long hair, I could get away with Dave, it. You did. You. Dave looked well, like um, <laughs> an Andrew Gold and Robert. No, Palmer. you That's see, a good thing. there's a point. There's a, I look like a girl. There's a point. With a fat face and there's a point. Of, hair <laughs> and needed a lot of conditioner. There's a point in the. <laughs> there's a point in the growing of hair. Okay, and I've just thought of this. Mm. And this a long time ago. God, this is a long time ago. Well, you either turn into Jesus, yeah. and that's good. Or you turn into Mama Cass. Oh, you Mama Cass. <laughs> not good. Oh, and you go man. one way or the other. And you went Mama Cass. I went what, what Paul Denoy used to call it looked like an exploded mattress. <laughs> yeah, the hair just frizzes. It's just like you've been There's nothing you can do about it. The thing that's very oh, good about terrible. beards is that they're back, you know, in a big way. Like you know, you you could wander around a music festival or uh, you know go to any you know anywhere really these days you will see kind of bearded men you know go to organic you know markets yeah because you've got all records you've got all these alt country acts uh, that um, turn up with the album sleeves where they really look as if they've sat there with a copy of the second band album and said okay Phase one of this group is we want to look like that right phase two of this group is we want to sound like that (laughs) you know what I mean you grow a beard and then you make the sound that uh, that naturally comes from a person wearing a beard. But absolutely, yes. John John Savage, uh, the, the, the music writer, once said to me when he, he hated the band, he said, I, "You can hear the beards." <laughs> I actually like the sound of beards. Yes, so absolutely. The, band, but the band proves my point. Look at those guys. Only, only Rick Danko is a major oil painting in that group. He's the major looker, right? And the other four, look, all, all, all five of them, looked incredible on the cover of that. They all have beards. That's true. It's a That's fact. True. Robbie Robertson, good-looking man. Not ask bad my, looking. Ask my wife. Uh, standing beside Rick Jackson, I think he's, fine. <laughs> he's invisible. Oh, never thought of that. They were. They had to get. The, yeah. They well. They let's go back to an old thread that we've used on this podcast. I think in the past, which was Brian Epstein said that the Beatles only looked like the Beatles when Ringo joined. That it was that idea. It was a joined-up picture. Oh, right. Once you got the fourth element, yeah, that was a picture. And there's a lot of truth in that. And you look at the band, it's a package. Yeah. You can't yeah. imagine taking one out and putting another one... Like five, another. you know. But also, <laughs> I don't mean it's unkind... Not like five. I don't mean it's unkind to dear old Ringo, that putting Ringo in the group accentuated the fabulous looks of the other three. Yes. You have something to compare it with. Because Ringo's kind of handsome, but he's no, you're not going to cross the road. Whereas the other three were just oh, blindingly attractive. I like Ringo. You see, you, 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 you're so keen on the, uh, you know, the, the underdog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jude so, Clark, Ringo Starr, any rock drummer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's uh, you know that's Jude's hunky hippies, right, and you yeah. can chase that up on the on the website wordmagazine.co.uk. And while we're talking about underdogs, uh, we're going to move smoothly on to a subject which has exercised me in the last few days. 
which is uh, you used to get people used to send you things called demo tapes, right? Little cassettes or whatever, either made in their bedroom or, or you know, they'd saved up the money, they'd gone and found a local recording studio. A jiffy bag with a green felt tip. <laughs> <laughs> How true! Oh, yeah. How true! And, th- and then there'd be a little little photograph taken on probably our box brownie by you know their mum in the garden. You know what I mean? That stuffed in there and probably dog-eared and bent and so yeah. forth. Of course, nowadays on the you know the new digital playing field is what is it? It's MySpace. It's YouTube. You know what I mean? You can find loads. It's it's never been easier to communicate if you're an up and coming musician, band, songwriter, whatever. It's never been easier to put yourself out there in some shape or form that people can uh, can look at and make a judgment about. And uh, now, I'm going to tell you a story of something I did today, and you can tell me if what I did was right or it was wrong. Which is, I got somebody sent me an email, and uh, and it was it it was couched in sufficiently diplomatic language, saying, you know, I think you're a genius. Or that, you know. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> um, but you know, I've always admired your, all that sort of stuff. Thought you were great. Not been Yeah, I thought you were great. No, it was far too young to remember that. Said uh, and uh, and I've made some demos and I've got my space site and I really wonder if you could just find a minute to just look at it and listen to it and tell me what you thought. Blessed that they didn't know they were letting themselves in. Well, <laughs> uh, so I, I I responded with my standard response, which is, I never listen to demo types. Because if I think it's good, you're going to expect me to make you a star. And if I don't think it's good, you're going to think I'm a sod. But, <laughs> because, yeah. because you kind of, you know, blew smoke up my fundament. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I gave this a listen. I gave it a look. And it didn't do much for me, into which you can read absolutely anything from, you know, not my particular taste yeah. to the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Uh, um, but the advice I would offer you is don't do four tunes, do one, and unless you're a brilliant <laughs> songwriter... Don't give no. And, you know, unless you've, uh, unless you're a brilliant songwriter, do somebody else's songs. Now, how this person has received this thing, I don't know. But that's I've decided this is going to be my new standard operating procedure. Am I right? Am I wrong? Is that bad? Should Should I be encouraging people... Discouraging people? What? What do you think, Jude? No, I think it's being harsh but fair, as you are, Dave. It's probably a, <laughs> you know, a, a good move, really. You know, I get a lot of phone calls as reviews editor from people um, saying, oh, I've got an album that I've made, or I've got a band that's got an album. And uh, what amazes me in the first instance is how many people don't actually look into what the magazine's about and what kind of music it features. And a lot of people do these things unplanned with a lot of bullish confidence, really. And then they just end up, you know, sounding like idiots on the end of the phone or on emails but um, I tend to you know if I get an email from somebody who says I've got this MySpace site here's a song you know if it's one song is, yep. is good because you can get a flavour from almost the first you know 30 seconds of what a band are going to be like and you shouldn't you know if you send um, an album with 12 track tracks to somebody whose job it is to sift through stuff all day every day then it's going to be quite hard to get a handle on what they're like you see, I, I, know, I know we sound really kind of pathetic about this, moaning about, oh, we get sent loads of free records and we, <laughs> and we have to listen to them. And there's probably people thinking, I'd love to listen to a load of free records. Well, you might for the first few hours. After a while, you wouldn't, you know. And if you turn the listening of music, here's my theory. If you ever turn it into a chore, you're not doing anybody a favour. 
You're not doing the musician a favour, and you're not certainly not doing yourself a favour, are you, Mark? No. Oh, I, you know, I, I tend to agree. I think it's agony. I had, I had an a, a, a example the other day when there was a, a wonderful group who um, we liked enough to, to, to allow them to win our competition to play words uh, sponsored Cornbury Festival last year. They're called... Uh, Songs, Songs from the Blue, Blue House. And they just made an album, and they sent me the album and said, um, will you ever listen to it? It's 14 or 15 tracks. Um, we, we've got to cut it down to 12. Could you tell us which ones you think ought to go? Now, that's an absolutely frightful position to be put into. And also, I really like these people very much, yeah. actually. Because when you look at the credits, um, you know that they're all written by different band members. The, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. You've got to choose. And it's kind of like some awful balloon debate or something. Where, you, where if I go in there wielding what almighty axe they think I've got, you know, um, which is only my personal opinion, I have to say, then I, I, I felt really... So, well, I wrote them an email and so said, I really like these two, two songs. I didn't say which ones I didn't like. I think these are the best. And that I got a very warm response immediately mm. from uh, members of the band saying, that's great, you know, really pleased, really glad that we put a lot of work in those. Which ones do you think were the worst? I thought, <laughs> if I respond to this, I will not get uh, a response straight away. And sure enough, I responded, and it wasn't until, I think, uh, the next day or the day afterwards, they'd obviously had a major band meeting oh. where they decided that maybe the track by uh, Bloggins, the bass player, which I thought <laughs> was very good, shouldn't be on there. I just I felt absolutely terrible. And also, I feel generally in this area that anybody that I know personally is kind of jinxed because I don't know anybody who's ever been successful with one exception and that was Neil Tennant of the Pet Shop Boys who Dave and I work with at uh, Smash Hits and Dave I can remember just <laughs> Neil coming in with his first cassette of his first recording the recording at the studio just around the corner in a lip, was it, what was it called do you remember in Carnaby Street it was a oh, Ad, Vision. Ad Vision where they did the, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the jingles and he played his first song. And I can remember thinking, oh my God, this is going to be so embarrassing. Neil's going to play his first song. He wants to form a group. It'll never go anywhere. We must <laughs> tell him now, Neil, nobody's ever going to, nobody knows us is going to be saying. And he played it. I can remember it, was, it, finished, it finished up as being a big hit. and was on their first album. And I remember all I could say was, same chords as Hanging Around by the Stranglers. <laughs> hanging around, hanging around, A minor, F and G. Neil, five, five and new, decent original chord sequence, please. <laughs> I think it was because Uncle Rent, I can't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> it was a huge yeah, success. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that was, that was all, yeah, that's, that was my only contribution to Neil, you know, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I just think I'm probably a very bad judge of these things. I'm probably quite a good judge of a record that's already been made and somebody's asked me to review it. I, I think that's but at the very early but process. The, but even then, uh, you don't know if it's going to be a hit, no, do no. you? And you, you know, and and sort of, if people are asking you whether you like something, what they're tending to ask is, do you think it'll do well? Well, there's loads of things so I like that are never going to do well. Yeah. You know, so I wouldn't. I never wanted to be an A and R man. It must be the worst oh. job in the world. I can't imagine how anybody does it. And and songs from the Blue House kind of putting you in that position. You know, editing their album. It's an interesting point. I mean, the the piece of advice, you know, it's kind of related to what I said to this guy who got in touch with me is don't do four songs, do one. And what that basically means is be really tough on yourself. Yeah. Be really hard. Because what you're asking however hard you are on yourself, it's nothing compared to how hard the public are going to be. You know, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because what, what, the hardest what, thing in the world is to get people's oh, attention. Tough, what, you know, what you're they're not doing, gonna... basically, is shifting responsibility. Yeah. And what should be decided is an internal debate. And presumably in, in the life of virtually every successful group, at some stage, I can't think of a better example, I should have top of my head, than Bob Marley and the Whalers. Bob Marley and the Whalers is a group called the Whalers. Yeah. And there were three singers. There was Bonnie Livingston, wasn't there? There's Peter, Peter Tosh. Tosh. And there was Bob Marley. Yeah. And a few other geezers playing some backs. Yeah. Then they thought, we somebody, Chris Blackwell, Chris was obviously Blackwell. involved in this decision, came along and said, I've got a really good idea. We're going to change the name of the group from mm. the Whalers to Bob Marley 
and the whale. Yeah, and we're this and was we're, a long, long. And we're going to take discussion. we're going to take the guy who's got a white father yeah. and takes a good picture yeah. and make him the, the leader. handsome guy. Yeah, who's kind of half white. That's right. He he's the thing. He's the leader now. And uh, you guys, you can walk if you want to, which eventually, of course, they did quite quickly yeah, in case yeah, of Todd. Yeah. You can go, but that's my decision. The record we're going to make is Bob Marley and the Whalers. And was he right? Or was well, he right? I, assume he I think he was probably I right. I can't imagine how he could have been wrong. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, be brutal with yourself before the world does it for you. It's I suppose, yeah, you know? exactly. Because um, I, think, I think there comes a point when you graduating from the kind of amateurs... And, of course, a lot of people on MySpace, they are amateurs. They're people with jobs, and that's fair enough and all that. But the big graduation from the amateurs to the professionals is leaving behind the cocoon of your family and everybody who comes along and sees you and thinks you're good because you're their family. Yeah. (laughs) It's that point at which you step out and you're just Joe Soap who's come on stage to entertain people for ten minutes and... Dear God, it's a hard job, and they I have couldn't no do relationship it, you know. with you at all, apart from the eight pound yeah. they paid to get. Yeah, to I know, which you know is not making them feel very warm. Standing there with their arms crossed. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. So you know, it's um, it's it's a tough life, and it's getting tougher. I mean, the the means to get your yourself known in the first place have never been easier, but that results in just a huge oversupply of stuff, doesn't it? You know, because we've seen this. We say this all the time. Every time, every time the mailman comes in and tips a load of CDs on on Jude's desk. You know, the record business is supposed to be on its uppers. You wouldn't know it from the amount of stuff that was coming. No, There's more stuff all the time. Because everybody can make a record, can't they? Yeah. So uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's our A&R advice. Okay, so that's our, <laughs> that's, that's our policy on, on demos. You listen to the Word podcast, uh, wordmagazine.co.uk. Bit of housekeeping. If you enjoyed these podcasts, listeners, and you've got them from the iTunes store, which you can free gratis for nothing, there is a very wonderful device on there where you can leave feedback and you can say nice things about us. And you know what you like, but only nice, obviously. (laughs) And then we and then we go up the iTunes chart, and and that's good, isn't it? That would be very good. So uh, quite high in any way, actually. Yeah, we're we're doing all right. Um, So uh, at this point in the program, it's traditional for somebody around the table. To come up with, tell a, a hoary old, old anecdote, whiskery rock and roll <laughs> anecdote. Well, it's not going to happen this week. We're going to have something satellite in, aren't we? Do you know why? Because we've been on location, <laughs> okay? Oh, good. Oh, and yeah. we've got a guest anecdote, which this week is supplied by a great favourite of Mark's and mine, and, and possibly of yours. <laughs> uh, while I was interviewing him, I got the man to tell the story about his biggest payday in songwriting. Uh, the, the source was the soundtrack of The Bodyguard. And the man to tell the story, over to him now, is Nick Lowe. It used to be, if you got any, any songs in a movie, they, they used to pay you differently. They'd pay you each time the movie was shown, or you know, that sort of thing. But then they changed all that because they, there were so many outlets for movies when DVDs and everything came in. They, they changed all that. You got a flat fee. Also, you had to sign a, a form which said that in the event of the movie being a big hit, you wouldn't sue the movie makers for, uh, for, uh, for upping the, your fee. So you had, to, you had to sign this form. And so... I knew uh, when my songs were going in, mo- in movies, because before that you didn't really know. It was a, a bit of a surprise. So I knew that my song, Peace, Love and Understanding, which has been in lots and been covered by lots and lots of people and been in, in a lot, lot of things, 
both before and since, was going to be in this new movie. And I knew Kevin Costner was something to do with it. And that was as much as I knew. Anyway, shortly after I signed the form, I received a letter. And it purported to be from, from Kevin Costner. And I know it was typed, but it had Dear Nick written in pen. Someone had written Dear Nick in pen, and it was signed Kevin. Someone had signed Kevin. So I thought, well, it, it could be. You know. And the gist of the letter was, Nick, you, you are fantastic, as we know, as am I. <laughs> and I am writing to you uh, to uh, bring to your attention... My this this friend of mine's um, songs. I think he's really great, and uh, he can't get a break in the in the business. And uh, you, as a fantastic producer, um, might take a listen to him and be able to give him some advice. Well, I hadn't. Re- I'd been off the producing game for quite a long time, so I figured that a reason I got this letter was because I was on some sort of list somewhere. My name was still on the list, you know, as being a producer. Because I figured I wasn't the only person who'd got this letter, so the 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 tape was by um, some somebody. The, the person's name was Blair Forward, which sounded, which sounded to me like a soap opera, like mm-hmm. an American soap opera, and they're always called Tad or Bolt. <laughs> you know, I thought it was a. It sounded like a soap opera name, Blair Forward. Um, anyway, so I played this tape, and it sounded like uh, it. Real, I mean, I would think I got, I received it. It must have been very late eighties or early nineties. I can't remember now, but it sounded like mid eighties uh, AOR, middle of the road, like where the route is the police, mm-hmm. um, men at work. Yeah. You know, the, the singer seemed to have one of those high tenor voices, you know, like like Sting's got, and the you know big drums and all that sort of thing, lots of synthesizers and that sort of sound, you know, radio friendly. Uh, and cu- rather curiously, there was a, a cover of Paint It Black on as well. There were four or five cuts. Anyway, it was absolutely not up my street at all. But I thought, well, um, I think I ought to write to Kevin and tell him, you know, because I'm sure he he's gets yes men all the time telling him. But I'll write a nice letter, you know, and say thank you. So I wrote this letter saying thank you very much for uh, sending me this, um, Kevin. Uh, it's not for me, you know. You must be an extremely nice man, you know, to do this for your for your friend. But it's not for me, and I'll tell you why, you know. And each I went through each song, just just a sentence, you mm. know, and said uh, why I didn't care for it. I said, but thank you very much, you know. For anyway, that was it. And I wrote this letter, and I took quite a lot of care with this letter. And when I thought I'd got it right, I put it in its envelope, and I put it away with what I usually do is I I put it away for a day or something like that until, and then get it out and read it and for a moment you forget your little devices and your little uh, tricks and things yeah. like that and you get an impression of what the person who is re- going to receive it will think and uh, and sometimes you think ooh well, that's ghastly, that bit you thought was really smart, you know let's get rid of it you know, or what have you, make a little, little adjustment but I thought I'd got it right uh, anyway I put it away and completely forgot about it and um about two weeks later, I was with some friends having lunch, I think, a rather boozy lunch, and Kevin Costner's name came up in conversation. And, uh, 
and they were all saying, you know, dances with wolves, can you believe it? You know, who gave an Oscar to that bloody nonsense? You know, which, <laughs> there we are, that's about when it was. Uh, so they're all being a bit sort of disparaging, you know. And I suddenly remember my Kevin Costner letter. Hmm. Wonder where that is. So I went back home and went to look in the place where I'd left and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I looked high and low wasn't anywhere so I thought well I know my, maybe my cleaning lady has posted it so I thought well maybe Jackie has seen it and said oh I'm passing the post box I'll, I'll put it no she hadn't done it the, the, the old lady who used to come do my tiny garden I asked her no everyone who came to my house I asked have you posted this, this? so eventually I thought well I must have just thrown it away or something it must have just got swept away you know so I thought, well, I'm not going to go through that again. I'm not going to write it again. You know, it's too late now, it's gone. And that was that. Well, shortly afterwards, of course, this bodyguard came out, this bodyguard with my song in it, and Kevin Costner was in charge of the music for the, for the song. And, and I wondered whether he'd received my letter. Um, this is after, it had, I think it had sold 18 million copies, you know, and... Uh, and, and I was in line for a very large check, you know, and I thought, well, I wonder if Kevin received my letter somehow. It was posted, you know, it got to him somehow. And he thought, Mike, he's the only one of those bastards who took the time to reply to my letter, you know. Now, didn't we have his that piece, I'm not saying thing, on a short list, you know? Get it in the fucking movie right away, you know. Good for him, you know. Or he didn't receive it, and had he done... He would have said, cheeky bastard, you know, he won't do my bloody mate's songs, you know. Now, didn't we have his song in the movie? Get it out of there right away. I have no way of knowing. And that really is the story, except that um, this is a slight epilogue to it, and that is that I uh, was hired to play bass on an Elvis Costello record, um, the name of which escapes me now. Um, not that long ago, but it's produced by Marshall Froome, Mitchell Froome, sorry. And I, Mitchell was staying just across the road, uh, the river from me. I, mean, I live in Brentford. He was staying in, in digs in uh, Kew. And uh, each day I'd give him a lift to the studio. I'd go and pick him up and I'd give him a lift to the studio. And one day we were stuck in traffic and I told him this, this story. As you can tell, it's quite a sort of well-home yeah. dinner party, you know, favourite. Um, and... Uh, uh, I told him this story and he, he listened in silence, you know. And then he said, um, again, I don't know whether he's... Uh, he certainly got a point, but anyway, he said, well, you know who Blair is, don't you? And I said, well, no, do you, do you know? Have you heard him? He said, it's fucking Kevin. Who the hell do you think it is? <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Again, I do not know if that is true, but... You know, oh, but it's I bound to feel more... You're bound to give it more credence as the years go by, aren't you? Well, I suppose so, but and needless to say, I went straight back home at the end of the session that, that, that day. I went straight back home and went scrabbling around in this enormous great packing case I had of cassettes. You know, of course, I've thrown them all away now, but to look for this blooming this Blair Forward cassette which I could not find I looked absolutely everywhere for it 
but have subsequently found I found uh, about a year later it was you know falling behind the chair and I put it on and I I tried to imagine this sting type singer you know as I tried to imagine it being Kevin you know and I don't know sometimes I could see him and sometimes I could very elusive <laughs> very good so well thanks very much Thanks for the field. Our man in the field. Mr. Nick Lowe, a new album out out now called At My Age, and very, very good it is too. Uh, proving once again, if it needed any further underlining, that everybody in the world, even the biggest movie stars, they all want to be a rock star, don't they? they do. On some level. It's it's extraordinary, you know. Given the opportunity, a big sports star, politician, movie star. Would you like to get up on stage and play with a rock and roll band? They'd all like yes, to do please. it. Yeah. Well, that's about all from us uh, for this week. Uh, thanks very much for listening. If you want to know anything more about the magazine or any of these podcasts, wordmagazine.co.uk. Say bye-bye, Jude. Bye-bye, Jude. <laughs> bye-bye, Jude. Yeah, it's good night from her. And it's good night from me. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.